0: Hello, my name is Michelle O'Brien, and I will be having a conversation with Phoenix Danger for the New York City Trans Oral History Project in collaboration with the New York Public Library's Community Oral History Project. This is an oral history project centered on the experiences of trans-identifying people. It is April 24th, and this is being recorded at the NYU Department of Sociology. Hello. Hi. Um, tell me about your uh, childhood.
1: Hmm, my childhood, okay. <laughs> wow, we really jumped right into it. Um, well, I was born in... Is, that, is it going? Okay. Um, I was born in Fleshing, Queens uh, in 1990. My parents are both um, Filipino immigrants who met in New York City at some point in the 80s. Um, I lived in Queens for... Ages zero through
0: one. Can I ask you some questions about your parents?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, they. When did they immigrate? They immigrated. You know, I really need to get the exact number, like the exact uh, years for this. But in the early eighties.
0: So, so there was a lot going on in the Philippines in the early eighties. Yes. 80s. Do you know what motivated their immigration? Um,
1: actually, that's funny. That's what my um, that's what my undergraduate thesis was about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah so in the in the, like, late 70s, early 80s in the Philippines, um, there was the collapse of a, uh, the Marcos dictatorship. Mm-hmm. Um, part of the reason... So my parents kind of came for different reasons. Um, my, my mom came... She told me... Um, and they have, like, a little bit of, a, like, different class backgrounds... Um, my mom came what she told me was just that she had friends who would come who would like graduate college come to work here um, and she would come visit them I think she might have had dual citizenship no she did not never mind Um, but she would come to visit them and you know she didn't know what she wanted to do in Manila and you know New York or I think California at the time um, was more exciting, Mm -hmm. and sort of, like, she saw more opportunities there, so she immigrated to California. And what was her class background? Um, she was, I would say, middle class to upper middle class. Mm -hmm. I think my dad was, like, middle class to lower middle class. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and then my dad immigrated because the Philippines had become dangerous for him, um, and he sort of experienced, um, like violent crime. And so his parents told him that you have to leave. Uh, And so he immigrated to Miami with his brothers. Mm -hmm. And then how did they move? How did they meet? You know what? It's interesting. They both told me that they just sort of, they started just moving, like my mom just moved across the country and my dad started moving north and they were both looking for somewhere that they just wanted to settle and they both ended up. In Manhattan, yeah.
0: So tell me about growing up in Flushing. Yeah, so I. Or
1: you were just
0: there till three? Until yeah, until one. Until (laughs) one, (laughs) it
1: was very, it was pretty brief. Even though my parents had lived there Mm -hmm. um, for a couple of years already. Um. So yeah, I. After Flushing, we moved to Manhattan, first and seventy second, and then to first and sixty third. Um. And then I lived there until I was eight, and then we moved to the suburbs. Um, I don't know. I always think that growing up in New York City really, like, or just having my very, like, first, you know, my first eight years in New York City was really interesting um, because it sort of forms your expectations for what, like, the rest of the world is going to be like. Um, and sort when I got out to the suburbs, I was like, wow, this is really different. Like, where are all the people? Uh, I can't sleep at night because it's too quiet. The crickets sound scary. Uh, (laughs) like, I don't really know what's out there. It's not city sounds. Um, and I was just, I was just talking to someone recently about, I think it's very indicative what the, the two, like the differences between the two experiences, Um, because I recently looked at my second grade class picture and my third grade class picture, um, and my family had moved over, like, moved over the summer. Um, and my second grade class picture, teachers included, there were maybe, like, three white people, and everyone else was like various forms of people of color, um because sort of like the that part of the upper East side wasn't really as bougie as it is now. Um, yeah, like a lot like just a lot of people of color like from a lot, I don't know, like a lot of kids of like children of immigrants. Um, and I guess probably I don't know, since we were zoned by district, I guess like all of these people of like various ethnicities all lived in the upper east side which is something that I can't imagine right now um and then when I got to my third grade class picture it was like the total opposite it was like you know I was like one of three people of color why did your parents move um I think that they wanted I think that they wanted more space uh they wanted to have another kid which they which they did um, I think that they wanted to give... I also think that they wanted to give us something different. Um, I think that they wanted to give us... I mean, the school district was really good, that I know. I think they wanted to grow up, us to grow up with sort of, like, more space in the house, more air. Um, you know, a backyard. And then, like, I think that they probably just, like, wanted to have a house, you know? They... I mean, you know, I think that they were some of the last people that you know, obviously, with, like, class advantages, like, factored in, were able to work a lot and move from Queens to Manhattan to the suburbs. And so I've never had this conversation with them, but I, I speculate that it probably felt good to be able to, like, immigrate and, like, work for 20 years and then get a house. Um, what kind of work did they do? Uh, so my mom... My mom was an import manager um, in the fashion industry. Uh, she moved between a different, a couple of different companies, but she like always worked on Seventh Avenue. Um, and my dad, like, initially when he moved to New York, got a job on the sales floor of Tiffany and Company, and worked his way into corporate. Um, they do really different stuff now. I don't know if that's like important to this part of the interview. They do really different stuff right now. Sometime around when I was 16. I mean, it seems like there was, like, a lot of, like, there's like, a lot of, like, overworking to the point of, like, maybe abuse, like, in the fashion industry, which maybe is not surprising. Um, So my mom quit her job. My dad also quit his job to start his own company, which does outsourcing for medical transcriptions. Um, And so my mom helped him with that. And so now my dad still does that, and then my mom, I think, works import-exports for a steel company. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Did she uh, go to college? Or did either of them go
1: to college? They both went to college in the Philippines. Uh, My mom went to Ateneo, which is sort of like one of the two most prominent universities. And then my dad went to the University of San Sebastian, which is another school that I actually don't know that much about. And what were you like as a kid? serious. (laughs) Serious. <laughs> uh, I was a really yeah. I was a really serious kid. Um, I I don't know. I had friends. I was a tomboy. I was a serious tomboy. Um, all of my friends were boys. I think that <clears throat> um, you know, like I think that there was something interesting going on for me as a tomboy where. There was something, like, even though my parents weren't thrilled, they were like, whatever, just, like, put on a dress on Sunday and, like, we're going to go to church. Um, But there was definitely something interesting going on where it was, like, in order to be able to express myself, like, in a boyish way, I had to really renounce a lot of femininity to the point where it was, like, saying that it was stupid, you know? And I was, like, it's kind of like the, like, child equivalent of, like, women who have friends that are only men because, like, women are too dramatic or, you know, something like that. But like I hated pink. I hated dresses. Um, I also felt embarrassed a lot about like engaging in girly things. Like I felt embarrassed about like learning hand games, and so like I don't know any of those. And sometimes it still comes up, even though like I'm almost thirty. Um, but yeah, I played mostly with boys. I was athletic. Um, yeah. I don't know. I guess... Yeah. I guess, like, that's kind of... I don't remember a lot of my childhood. You know? <laughs> uh, I was, like, trying to figure out a way to, like, talk around that. But I think I'm comfortable with... You know, I think I'm comfortable with saying that. I don't remember a lot of my childhood. Um, I think probably particularly around gender stuff. Some of it was traumatic, and I just sort of, like, wiped it out. Um, but... I don't know. Like... I was a kid with a lot of feelings. I cried a lot. Um, and that really actually continued like all throughout the rest of my life. I cry a lot now. I might cry sometime in the next hour. We'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It was kind of that's kind of like what it was up until sort of my adolescence, which is like when I start to remember things more. And then also sort of one being gender nonconforming, became more problematic.
0: Tell me about the period in your life when the memories start flushing out.
1: Yeah, um... <laughs> hmm. You know what? I think that one of the first... Like, you know, something that really stands out is, um... When I had, like, a first acknowledged crush on a girl. Hmm... And I also, like, was having sort of, like, misplaced crushes on boys at the time. Um, like, I do identify as, like, queer or bisexual now, um, but, like, I think that the crushes that I had on boys at that point were, like, you know, heterosexually coercive. Um, yeah, so I had a crush on my best friend, um... How old were you? I was probably, like, why did we go to high school together? She lived in a different district. Oh, I think it's, like, the high school I went to was, like, better or something. Anyway, we went to middle school together, so I was probably, like, 15. Um Yeah, I was probably, like, 15. We were in the same English class, which was, like, an advanced English class. Um... I don't know what caught my eye. I mean, we were... Because, like, I feel like... I don't know if we were friends at this point. I think that we were friends of friends. And that she would sit in the front of the English class. Because that's the kind of person that she was. And I would sit in the back. Because that's the kind of person that I was and still am. Um, Even though they tell you to get better about it during college. I just didn't. Um, And I just remember her knowing the answers to everything, Um, and me feeling really, like, impressed and excited about it. Um, Everyone I've dated since then has been very much like that. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I don't know. And I, I think besides, like, I think besides finding like, a way to direct my desire in a way that felt, like, truthful and fulfilling and also terrifying um, is when also I started feeling more, like, I guess maybe intellectually fulfilled, um which I think is because like, they started, you know they started, like stratifying the classes, like, according to, like, ability, which of course like, is fucked up, um and I did benefit from it, um yeah i don't know i began to like i just began to become interested in the things around me and like i don't know if i was that interested in the things around me before that um i don't know i guess yeah and then also i think something else that was happening was that people were giving me feedback that i was good at things And so I think that that began to sort of, like, shape a consciousness of what I could do and, like, you know, who I could be and, like, who I could potentially be with, even though I hated myself. Um, Yeah, no, I think that, like, you know, when I first, when I started to, like, really develop an identity and ideas for the future is when I really started becoming more present in my own life. Where in the suburbs were you again? Um, I was in Rockland County. Rockland County. mm -hmm, Which is, um, a lot of people don't know. A lot of of people are like, you were upstate. You lived upstate. Um, but it's actually the southernmost point of (laughs) New York State, uh, without being New York City. So that is where I grew up. Yeah. Um,
0: so anything more from high school that you wanted, that you want to share or feels important to you?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um... I was a, I was a gay outcast. Um, so I, I don't know, I was very lucky. I ended up dating this person who I had a crush on. Yeah. <laughs> um, we played, I mean, we were both nerds in like every way that you could be. So we ended up, uh, she played the cello, I played the clarinet and the bass clarinet. And we played in the pit together um, for Les Mis, which was very ambitious, even I thought so at the time, for a high school musical. Mm- um, I don't know, I, I began to become interested in journalism, um, that's completely different from the trajectory that I was going in, so I was, I was, it's interesting, I was, like, gay slash, like, bisexual in a way that I'm not now, I was, like, bisexual in the way where it was, like, I'm not a gay, that would be ridiculous, like, I still, and also it was, like, It was, like, in 2006, which is not that long ago, and also in a suburb of New York City. But, like, it really felt like I had no future um, as, you know, a lesbian or a gay person. Um, I felt really angry at myself. I was like, now you can't have a life. Like, now you can't, you know, have, I don't know, I guess a husband and kids. Even though I, as, like, a child and an adolescent, was, like, never someone who thought about, or even pictured myself really getting married or having kids, which actually is different now, um, but was, like, never part of, like, my formative consciousness. Um,
0: fantasy still weighing on us. Exactly. Another, you
1: know. Absolutely. Um, and also, I think that that was, I don't know, it really was a time before a lot of, I guess, lesbian representation um and I don't know this is so fucked up when I think about it but um you know I was kind of like but le- I'm not a lesbian like lesbians are and I would think things like fat or you know butch and like ugly and this one was really specific I don't know how I knew this but I was like wear Birkenstocks <laughs> and I was like why did like in my mind now I'm like why did I already know that like was something just like in my DNA um I don't know I you know eventually like I definitely did end up being masculine of center and like not fat phobic um but yeah I don't know that was like really weird um and then Teen and Sarah were becoming really popular And they sort of, like, became some people who I could imagine myself, um, being like. And they also had a lot of fans who I felt were, like, myself. Um, and so I, um...
0: Okay, so you were talking about Tegan and Sarah.
1: Yes. so I was talking about Tegan and Sarah, um...
0: The door
1: yeah i was talking about tegan and sarah um that's yes union um yeah so i sort of like i began to identify with them and then also with a lot of their fans and this is funny um or a, a little bit embarrassing i'm really trying to own it um I joined their sort of, like, fan web forum and was just, like, became obsessed with it because I was really, I was talking to, I guess at the time, what we're referring, the way that we referred to ourselves as lesbians, um, and, like, talking to these other people, like, in different parts of the country, seeing how people dressed, seeing, like most of the people were closeted, um, as I, like, half was, um, and we were also all applying to college, and so we were sort of on the brink of becoming more independent, and, like, out it was queer, um, so there was, like, really, like, a lot of, like, energy and also, like, hormones, it was, like, everyone was so far away from each other, but we were also just, like, like, you know, like, queer, like, we weren't saying that. We were like lesbians, like other lesbians in the country, and we're like sending each other like pictures of ourselves and like, you know, like staying up on like chatting on like webcams, which were like very primitive. Like, which, um, and yeah, I remember like I just didn't care about anything else. Um, and I remember like I had an interview with Vassar um, like, one morning, and I had just, like, literally stayed up all all night and, like, couldn't concentrate, like, did not care about Vassar, like, just cared about these people, that I was, like, really getting my first sense of community with, um, yeah, and, like, I really took that with me to college, and actually, um, someone who I met there is my friend now, like you know lives in Brooklyn now and some people like we do still see each other and we do still talk so I don't know those are friendships that have lasted over 10 years um and I think that that part of my life was or like that part that experience in high school like I think that I would be a different person yeah mm-hmm. that's
0: lovely uh so uh, you went off to college I went to college!
1: Like? it was amazing um, well, it was amazing for, like, a year, um, I was immediately out, you know, I just, like, I couldn't wait, like, I just couldn't wait, um, oh, sorry, and, like, actually going back to the high school situation, um, I think it's also important to say that once I was, like, sort of out and dating, um, a girl, uh, I was, like, very... Sort of like excommunicated. Um, I like wasn't really invited to friends' houses anymore because my parents didn't know, but their parents knew. Um, and yeah, I, it's so inappropriate we were, you know, a lot of staff and faculty would, like, gossip about us or, like, look at us in a certain way. Um, And, you know, the GSA in the school did find me. Like, (laughs) I didn't find them. They found, they, like, tracked me down. They were like, we think you need support. And I was like, okay. Um, Yeah, I don't know. So that's significant, too, because that's why, you know, that's part of why finding community online seems so natural to me. Um, yeah. So anyway, I went to college. Um, yeah, I went to college. I was out immediately. Like, all of the... I guess is how we identified. Yeah, all of, like, the gay people just, like, flocked together somehow. Like, within the first week of being in school, like, I had a lot of friends. Like, I felt really popular. Like, I wasn't a loser anymore. Um, and... Yeah, I wasn't a loser anymore. Um, I was attractive, which was weird. Um, People found me attractive. Um, I found other people attractive, and we weren't, like, 3,000 miles away. Um, You know, and yeah, I don't know. I was, like, having sex. I was drinking. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I feel like there's, like, two ways of, like, being, um, like, a queer like, loser in high school, and one is that you don't really have any friends, you're, like, you know, not really connected to anything, or, like, a queer, a queer loser POC in the suburbs, like, that's really specific, but either you're a loser, or you become a punk for some reason, um, and you, like, smoke and drink and whatever, but that wasn't me, um, yeah, and so I actually sort of, like, embarked upon the beginnings of a substance, what, uh, what I have realized now is a substance abuse problem, Um, But before that really, sort of, like, the gravity of that was really sinking in, Uh, I was having a lot of fun. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Like, we're all gay. We're all drinking a lot. We're all going to the gay club every weekend um, on their 21, oh, sorry, their 18, their 18 and overnights. Um, You know, the academics were secondary. I didn't do, I did okay. I got i started i started college uh going to business school um which didn't make any sense for me. i didn't know i mean i wanted to i wanted to st- study journalism but ended up in business school because my dad wanted me to go there um and that made the most i don't know i just it was sort of like my thinking was okay you're you're good at writing and that's nice but you want to have a livelihood so you should go to business school um and I was just naturally terrible at it like I really think even if I hadn't been partying like I would not have done well mm. and <sighs> I think this thing happened to me okay yeah so this is the academic part this thing happened to me Freshman year, where I had a gap in my schedule, and I had to fill it with a class, and I had registered late, um, because, like, doing things late is part of my personality, so I had registered late, and the only, the only class that was left was a sociology class, uh, called Views from the Third World, which, like, I don't know what that class would be called now, actually, um, and I don't know, there were, like, people of color, they're, like, One, uh, like, the professor was rumored to have helped, like, smuggle arms into some country in South America. I don't know if that's true or where that came from, but I'm sure that she was involved in, like, some sort of, like, activism or resistance, and that probably got blown up by college students. Um, But in
0: unspecified countries?
1: Unspecified, yeah. I I mean, there was definitely something racist about that, where people would be like, south america like somewhere in south america um that's all i know that's all i know um so i was seduced by sociology um and that kind of created this um this like internal dysfunction um that really sort of like carried me you know carried me throughout the rest of my college career Um, and so it would be like, I'd be in these business classes, which I hated and was bad at and, you know, learning how to make money, learning how to sort of like evade, like evade legal statutes that would allow me to be richer. Um, people would be literally like wearing suits to class. And then, you know, an hour and a half later I'd be in my sociology class and it would be, like, advertising is destroying the world. Like, you know, property is theft. Like, you know, just, like, reading a lot of Karl Marx for the first time. And so, like, going back and forth was just, like, I don't know which of these is real, but I think it's not the business part. Um, and so that was sort of, like, going into my sophomore year. Um, In my sophomore year, I got into an emotionally abusive, and by the end, physically abusive, relationship. Um, And that was, I mean, you know, of course that was really intense. Um, A lot of things, you know, started happening at that point. Uh, You know, it's like a lot of the time part of emotional abuse is separating you from your friends and so I started to um I don't know I was like lacking emotional support um I was angry at my parents for you know just because like (laughs) um sort of like maybe for like putting like a capitalist agenda in my mind or something like that um but I was also thinking about coming out to them. I was failing my classes because I was still in business school for some reason. So I was failing all my classes. Um, and over winter break, I came out to my parents, which did not go well. Um, it was basically just, you know, screaming, name calling, uh, You know yeah just like all of that and because I had been like so out in college like I just didn't like I like could not like could not abide by it and so one day my dad told me that I couldn't go back to school because school was a bad influence on me Which I think meant that college is making you gay and you can't go back. Um, And I just, like, couldn't do it anymore. And the person I was dating was in Texas for winter break, because that's where she was from. And I borrowed $100 from my friend, and I bought a plane ticket to Austin, and... I got my friend to pick me up while my dad was out, um, picking up my brother from school and I got on a plane and I didn't, I didn't tell my parents, I didn't talk to them for about six months. Um, I was like in Texas with my abuser. Um, but also it was like, you know, it's like that thing about abuse where it's like, I don't know, you're still having fun sometimes or like, you know, you're still, I mean like it wasn't it wasn't fun but it like it felt like you know when there were other people around it was like a break from abuse uh and also we were drinking all the time so that felt fun in some way also um and I don't know I think that I was still you know, that was still a time where I was really indulging in just not caring about the consequences of anything. Um, and just like, like just trying to have fun and get fucked up, like get fucked up and have fun. And so, I don't know, we were like doing drugs, like getting drunk. We were like down all the way by the border. Um, she was like,
0: how were you paying for it?
1: How was I paying for it? Um, that's a great question.
0: $100 doesn't last long. No,
1: $100 does not last long if you're trying to do drugs. Um, my girlfriend was rich. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, part of the abuse, you know, was also financial. Um, but, yeah, that's what it was. And I think also before my parents could catch on to it, I, like, withdrew the rest of what was whatever was in my bank account, which was, like, not much. Um, but I withdrew it in cash, like, while I was at the airport. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so, yeah, and so I didn't have a passport. My girlfriend was, like, crossing the border into Mexico, like, breaking back Xanax? Um, yeah, and so we were, like, doing that, blacking out. Everyone, she was rich, everyone was rich, so we were, like, in these beautiful houses, like, with, like, swimming pools and just, like, you know, like, driving drunk to the club where you could still smoke inside. Um... Yeah, and it felt like, you know, it just felt, like, wild and romantic and, you know, getting tattoos also. I didn't have money for that. Um, Yeah, and then I dropped out of school. Um, I don't know, because it was really expensive and I had just started, the University of Maryland had a student union. And so I was starting to learn what student power was like. And I, I tried to like start a student power situation at, um, I don't know if I mentioned this, I went to American University in DC. Um, and so I kind of like tried to start that, but like with no organizing experience. Um, I mean, like I just, I couldn't do it, you know, I was alone. Um, and my girlfriend was pushing me, it was just like, you should just drop out of school. Like you don't need school, you don't need to finish school. And so I dropped out of school and she finished school. Um, and I started waiting tables, um, and I lived in DC for two more years before I moved back to New York and got my degree at Brooklyn College. Uh, I graduated, I graduated last June. Congratulations. Thank you.
0: How did you get out of the relationship?
1: Um, man, this is terrible. I cheated on her um, more than once because, like, I remember just feeling so desperate and, like, unable to get out of it. And it was becoming sort of, like, increasingly physically threatening. Um, and it was also horrible because um, we had just moved in together and this was my first experience, like, not living on my own. And so, I don't know. I was cheating on her. She was also kind of cheating on me. Um, Yeah, we broke up over the phone because she was in Texas. And I was scheduled to fly down to Texas. And we were going to drive back up with our stuff together so that we could move in. Um, And we did do that. We did drive back up together from Texas. Um, But she was staying somewhere else. I think with the person who she had immediately started seeing. Um, and then one day she just came in with her parents, and like I mentioned, they were rich, so all of our furniture was theirs. Um, and they, like, took, you know, I mean, they took everything. They took, like, our bed, our dresser, our couch. Um, she was paying most of the rent in the room, and so we had to, we had to rent that room out, and then I moved all my stuff down to the living room and was, like, you know, sleeping in a pile of blankets. Um... But I was out of the relationship, and I just remember feeling such relief, you know? And I was like, I will sleep on the floor. Like, I don't care. Like, I will sleep in the living room. Like, I'll sleep on the floor Um, because now I am, like, I am free. And also, like, this has unleashed my chronic depression, um, which has probably been, like, sitting in my body, like, waiting for something to come up. Um. Yeah, and that's how I. Yeah, that's how I got out of the relationship.
0: So, uh, you were waiting tables in Mm -hmm. DC. Mm -hmm. You dropped out of college and then you moved to New York. Yeah. What year was that?
1: Um, it was December of twenty eleven.
0: Yeah. And you had saved up money waiting tables to move, or somehow dead, or somehow
1: no. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So I. Even though I was making a, a lot of money, uh, was did not save up any money. Um, like easy to do. Easy to do, especially if you are drinking, like, every night after, yeah. uh, after you get out of work, like, with your coworkers. workers mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you've ever worked in the service industry, but, like, people drink a lot. Like, people drink a lot when they're waiting tables. Um, yeah, drinking, doing drugs, like, you know, would just, like, taking cabs home, like, would just... You know, would just make, like, would just make it home at the end and wake up and be like, I spent $200 last night, like, regularly. Um, and so, luckily, I had gotten back in touch with my parents at this point, And my parents uh, still live in Rockland, and so I guess they wanted me to be closer. Um, and so, they helped me sublet an apartment, which was great because I didn't need to, you know, put down a person last month's rent. It was just, like, rent yeah. as, it, as I went. I got a job here. Um, I had a job interview the day after I moved. What kind of job? Uh, I was working in food service again. Um, And I ended up, yeah, I was dispatching deliveries in a now defunct pizza place. (laughs) And I had worked in a pizza place before when I was in D.C. Um, Yeah, and so I, like, started making money immediately, and so I was able to make rent. Um, And then, like, after that, Well, my parents were still helping me, like, put down, like, put down money for stuff. And I think that, actually, my most recent move was the only one that I've been able to do by myself. Um, And so I was definitely, you know, it's, like, definitely tight for my parents, but I'm, like, really, really lucky in that they were able to help me.
0: And had they come around on queer stuff or they just agree? You know, they just tune it out or what?
1: You know, what we never talk about is the couple of months that we weren't talking.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so we don't talk about that, but other than that, they've like very much come around. Um, well, you know, they come around to what I've told them. Um, and so they're really welcoming to my partners, like, you know, they're never like voicing wishes for anything else. Um, I don't know. I would say that maybe they're almost proud of me, uh, at this point, but you know, at the very least they're cool with it. Um, they are, they are mistaken about my identity. Um, mostly because I have omitted that in the conversations that we've had, because I don't know if they are ready for what being like non-binary transes and they-them pronouns and uh, and me having a different name than what they gave me. Um, though I did have an interesting... I did have an interesting experience with, with my mom. Um, my mom, who really, really, really loves my partner. And my mom has become... Since Trump was elected, my mom has become more politicized, um, has more of an identity as an immigrant, now has I don't I don't know that she uses the term women of color I think she probably says minority but um has more like is more connected to our identity that way and so we went to we went to a rally um she had never been to a rally before and she 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 took me like she she took me she was like I'm going to this and I was like ah I'm working like I'm really sorry I can't make it um, you know, here's, here's what I find helpful if I'm going to a rally or a march. And then I was like, actually, like, will you, maybe you could go someone, with someone, like, is there anyone you can go with? And she was like, I could go with you. And so I was like, okay, like, I will get the day off. So we got the day off. Um, and so, you know, post, post-march, having, din- uh, having dinner, I guess, with my mom and my partner is explaining, pronouns um and gender neutral pronouns and we had checked in before and like made sure that this was okay and
0: does your partner use gender neutral pronouns
1: or
0: what, um no, we were, abstractly or right
1: so we were talking i guess we were talking about getting more involved in like activism um and my partner was like talking about like, pronouns in those spaces. I don't remember how we got exactly on that topic, um, but before that, I was kind of mentioning, like, thinking about having my parents, like, use my pronouns, and so we were kind of, like, we were kind of, like, tiptoeing into that, because, like, I didn't want to bring it up, and she was open to bringing it up. Um, and so, so she was, like, um, her name is Lena, um, and so Lena, was saying, you know, we go, we go around the room, we say what pronouns we identify with, and so my mom was like, okay, so she turns to Lena and and says, so you use, and Lena says, she and her, and my mom turns to me and, and goes, so you use, he? And I, (laughs) 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 which was, like, probably, like, the most accepting iteration of the gender binary that I've like ever seen (laughs) like it was very touching um and I was like well you know actually I use uh I use they Uh, and my mom looks at me and stops for a second and she's thinking and she the first words out of her mouth were I like z better and I was like what like where did you even hear that um but I was like I don't. (laughs) And so whatever, my mom still, my mom still uses she and her pronouns for me. But now when, if she's ever around my friends and particularly when, particularly when she's around my partner, other people are more free to use they pronouns. Um, And so that's kind of, that's where we are at the moment.
0: So you were um, uh, working pizza delivery Mm -hmm. um, uh, as a dispatcher. How long Mm -hmm. did you do that?
1: Probably about a year and a half.
0: Yeah. And uh, did you start another job after that, or?
1: What was I doing after that? I was probably waiting tables somewhere else. wonder, Mm -hmm. what was I doing? Um, No, I got a job at a coffee shop, Mm -hmm. um, which was like somewhere in between like, a Starbucks and, like, and, like, an independent, like, I'm doing air quotes right now, um, an independent coffee shop, uh, the coffee was terrible, um, and I had to work there, um, I worked the morning shift, it was, like, you could either work nine hours in the morning or ten hours at night, like, there's the only two shifts, so I worked nine hours in the morning, um, I was, like, not suited for it, you know, I had to be up, I had to be on my way to the train at, like, a little bit before 5 in the morning. Um, which, like, was scary for me. Um, because I live, like, 10 minutes from the train and stuff would happen. Like, um, like the police once slowed down to my, to my walking speed and were just driving alongside me for, like, a block and a half. And when I finally stopped, they were following me because they thought that I was a minor um, and that maybe I was like unhoused or something I don't know but I was like why did I have to ask you you know why did you scarily follow me at like the crack of dawn um for a block and a half without saying anything like that's you know ridiculous and so I didn't like that um and I applied to Babeland, and yeah and I and I got the job you know, I applied to Babeland, I got the job. I was like, you know, I kind of like knew all through the interview process. I was like, this is going to happen. Um, and around that time, I also got, offered a job at the Pleasure Trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and I chose Babeland because the schedule was more flexible.
0: So I, I want to yeah. ask a lot of questions yeah. about Babeland. Yeah, yeah, but definitely. get a handle on, um, when did you start shifting into identifying oh, right. non-binary trans <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I feel so lucky because sort of in the same way that I came to college and was not immediately, like, fun and popular and gay, um, somehow all of the friends that I, like, the first friend group that I made when I was in New York were all um, non-binary, transmasculine people. No idea how that happened. Like, really no idea how that happened. Or actually, it was... it. No, that's... You know what? That's not true. That was, like... That was, like, definitely erasing of, like, the work that... Like, my relationships with fems. Um, Because, like, two things were happening. So, whatever. I was, like, friends with the boys. And then, also, I was doing organizing at Brooklyn College. Um, I was in the student union. There was, like, a very strong student union that was, like, mostly... Mostly queer fems. Um And I really like to think that... I don't know. I really like to think that... Well, okay, so there was a big moment at Brooklyn College, and there was a big moment at City College, and, like, Hunter College was also kind of involved. um, And we were all, like, campaigning for, like, the reinstatement of free tuition. Um, Which, like, I like to think has something to do with the Excelsior Scholarship that was, like, released recently. Because, like, there was... Yeah, there was a lot of action, and there was action in the SUNY schools as well. Um... Yeah, and so, yeah, and so I was, like, spending time with those two groups of people, um, and, like, (laughs) someone, someone said recently, like, there's, like, no one has better bookshelves than non-binary femmes who are not in academia, um, and, like, that's kind of, like, how it was, even though we were in, like, the sort of, like, beginnings of academia, we were, like, you know, we were undergrads, um, everyone was, like, so, like, mind-blowingly smart and interesting, um, and also, this was also, like, a year after Occupy had started, and so, like, everyone was, like, so mind-blowing, like, smart and interesting and radical, uh, that that started to, and, and queer, like, that was, like, the word that people were using, like, they were queer, um, And so, like, that's kind of, like, where I had taken my queer identity, and then from also being friends with all these trans mask people, um, who were using gender-neutral pronouns, um, and also because a trans woman that I knew in college was, like, you're trans (laughs) when I was in college, and very much not thinking about that, and just, yeah, I don't know, sort of, like, going back through all of that, um, one day, we were just at a bar, and I was, like, I think I would like to use they and them pronouns. And that's just... I don't know. That's just what happened. Um, and then, you know, like, I think that I definitely benefit from, like, transmasculinity where my, you know, my... Uh, my presentation was shifting and people would just use they and them pronouns for me anyway. Um Yeah, I don't know. I guess, like... I guess, you know... It's, like, in college, I really started identifying as, like, gay, or actually very strongly as a lesbian. Um, And actually, maybe we can talk about this at some point, but I became very... Are you familiar with autostraddle? So I became involved in the very beginnings, like, the first couple of months of autostraddle. So that also was a big part of, like, shaping my identity, particularly as a lesbian. Um, But yeah, I don't know. So sort of, like, as time moved on, like... You know I was very influenced around by the groups of people who I was with very much because they showed me the possibilities of what it was like to be different kinds of like gay or lesbian or just you know the whole LGBT um you know showed me what what it was like or what it could be like to be that way um yeah and I think that my identity has definitely evolved with like sort of like my politics and the people that I'm around. Um, And so, yeah, I don't know, I think that the communities that were around me really like enabled me to be like, and to continue to be who I am no matter how that changes.
0: Uh, So you were doing student organizing at Brooklyn College. Mm -hmm. Uh, year after Occupy, Mm -hmm. your politics at the time? Were they, you mentioned they were evolving. Right. Do you
1: have... Yeah, I'm trying to figure out where I was then. I mean, part of the reason that I went to Brooklyn College, no, a big reason that I went to Brooklyn College was, well, no, okay, part of the reason was because my friends went there. Um, (coughs) And that's because uh, in my last couple of months of living in D.C., I was... uh, I had had friends from New York who I met in DC, um, because we decided to host a birthday party for one of them, even though we didn't know each other. Um, and that person whose birthday it was is actually one of my best friends now. Anyway, so I knew people in New York, um, and so I came. I came up partially because I was friends with them, and then also because um, also because the people who I knew were at Brooklyn College and were doing organizing in a student union and those were ideas that I had had when I was uh, when I was sort of like dropping out of a uh, American University and you know had sort of like lost touch with for two years while um, like while I was waiting tables and so it really seemed like it seemed like the obvious transition um, I think that my politics were very um, were very were very student power oriented, um, which, you know, makes sense. Cause that's where I was. Um, and like in a way where I still am, uh, because I'm planning to go to CUNY law school. Um, yeah, I don't know. We're very centered around being from New York, um, being a student at a public school because previously I had been a student at a private school, but before that was always in, always in, always in public school. Um, You know, I think that, like, because I was hanging out with a lot of queer femmes, um, are all femmes queer? I don't know. This is something that's been coming up. Um, uh, yeah, and so a lot of the politics were centered around, um, or were about, like, decentralizing patriarchy in activist spaces, um... Yeah, and I think that I think that, that was extremely important because, you know, it wasn't just, like, those are my politics at the time. It's, like, those are the politics that I, like, build upon as I go. And so I think that that was really when I began... when I began to recognize that... that, like... that, like, patriarchy is threatening to, like... Groups of people of like different genders who are trying to build together. Um, yeah, and so I think that that was my biggest lesson from that and also uh, direct action gets the goods.. <laughs> um, yeah, oh, and it was also really scary because uh, we would have, yes, collective action gets the goods. perfect. Thank you. Um, that's great. Where did you get that? <laughs>
0: uh, I, I had the mate for my union.
1: Oh, for, awesome. uh, A
0: national caucus of graduate students. Cool.
1: That we have. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah,
0: uh, I have a box of them down here.
1: Oh wow, cool! Yeah, I was seeing all the union stuff around here. Very cool. Um, and then also lots of names of sociologists that I haven't seen in like maybe six months. That so I'm just like, wow, Weber.
0: <laughs> I, I'm teaching Weber. Nice. Moment.
1: Um. Oh, right. Yeah. Because we were doing a lot of direct actions, um, which sometimes resulted in students getting arrested on campus because we're a public campus. And, you know, and I think that also I was getting a sense of like I was getting a sense of class um, because it's like you would see you would see things like a protest at Brooklyn College where we were literally doing a sit in and students were getting dragged by the NYPD um, like through the hallways of our school. Um, and then you would see something like, <clears throat> like the, um, like the protests at Cooper Union, where students would be occupying, um, occupying the president's office for weeks and the president would be scared. Um, and no one, <clears throat> like no one would dare lay a hand on them. And so I think that I got, I really became politicized around, um, I don't know, just like who could do what and get away with it.
0: Um, so you were working in food service for a while mm-hmm. and going to Brooklyn College and applied to Babeland yeah. and Pleasure Chest at yes. the same time. Mm-hmm. And tell me about the choice of starting to work at Babeland.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um... I mean, you know, I think that this was the beginning of me really wanting to be around more queer people. Mm. Especially since I was using especially since I, since I was using they and them pronouns as well as she and her pronouns, but like the use of she and her pronouns felt sort of coercive. Mm. And so I just wanted to be somewhere where I could be more authentically myself. Um and I wanted to sell sex toys. That seemed fun. Um, and I don't I don't remember if this was the case, but I think that I wanted to get out of food service because the hours were really long, and particularly the hours that I was working at the, at the coffee shop were long and difficult. And I just wanted to get up and, like, start my day at 11 o'clock um, or end it at, you know, 10.30 instead of starting it at 4.30 or ending, you know, at you know two or three or whatever um yeah so yeah so I wanted so I wanted to apply to Bateland because I wanted to be around more queer people so that I could be who I wanted to be when
0: when was it that you started working there
1: wow I just uh I just had my three-year anniversary congratulations thank you
0: so that um makes it April twenty.
1: 14, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I was just thinking about that.
0: And what, uh, can I ask what your starting pay was? Yeah. The um,
1: the star- oh, God, do I even... I'm... The starting pay was $12, and then once you passed your 90-day review, mm-hmm. it went up to 13.
0: And um, what, how were working conditions for folks? Like, what were some... Pluses and difficulties.
1: I mean, it was definitely... So, the being around the queer people thing was exactly what I expected. It was, you know, amazing and occasionally dramatic. And, you know, everyone... um, You know, everyone had great style. um, And, like... I don't know. And the discount was fun. And, like, the toys were fun. Um... And just, like, having this body of knowledge and, like, returning to, like, the communities that I was in and, like, having that be, like, fun and sexy was great. Um, those aren't really working conditions, though. Those were just, like, things that... Um, they, are,
0: they are advantages. They
1: are advantages. Um, I mean, like, from the beginning, it was... It was a little bit difficult. Um, I was employed... First. I was offered, um, the way that the shifts were structured was that you either were full-time, which was almost no one, uh, you worked at least three shifts a week, you or you worked two shifts a week and were required to pick up four shifts a month, or you were assigned zero permanent shifts and had to pick up six shifts a month, and that was me. Um I was originally offered the two shifts I couldn't take them for whatever reason. I don't remember why I think because I couldn't start immediately. Um, and so I had the um I had the on I had the shifts where you that you that you pick up um and so I was like scraping together like four hundred dollars a month at this point um, and I was living. I was living in a commune, which was really helpful because it was, like, okay that I was making $400 a month and I was still being supported. Um, Where was the commune? The commune was in bed um, It was called Casa Duende. It was uh, a queer commune. There were, at any given time, between five to seven of us. Um we actually built a wall in the house to like accommodate accommodate more people um I lived there I lived there for maybe a year or a year and a half, but the commune in total went on for five or six years yeah, which i'm like would be more than happy to talk about at any point um,
0: so uh you had to, you struggled to pick up ships, and yeah. had a good dynamic with your coworkers
1: yes exactly um What else? Oh, I just always had a weird relationship with the managers. Um, I found that, like, communication was difficult. um, That I felt like I was being treated in, like, a standoffish way because I was new. Um, A lot of things were unclear. Like... I mean, we went through 30 hours of training, which, like... Actually, I don't know if that's a lot. But we went through a lot of training. Um, And after the training, I felt like I still didn't know a lot of things. And I felt... I felt intimidated um, asking basic questions. Because I didn't think I was going to be written up. But, like, I didn't want to seem, like stupid or like I wasn't paying attention because that's kind of how I would be treated when I asked the questions not like I was stupid but like I wasn't paying attention and like the answers were somewhere and I like wasn't finding them um yeah and then um and then excuse me Yeah. And so I was working, I was working at all three of the stores. I actually met my partner at one of them. Um, And I worked one, I I worked a couple of shifts at the store that I work at now um, with someone who just was like racist and fucked up and like, and, and mean. And eventually like that person got fired for being like racist and fucked up and mean. And like, you know, maybe some other stuff. Uh, and so then I started working as, like, a two-shift, plus you have to pick up more shifts. Oh, no, I got three shifts immediately, um, at that store, and then that's when I started becoming more connected, uh, with other workers. But, yeah, that's what it was like in the very beginning, like, I would say for six months.
0: Do you remember, uh, the first conversations that, uh, around organizing?
1: Yeah, um... So, I mean, like, maybe I should preface this with, you know, that's what my first couple of months were like. And then as I started working at the location on Mercer Street, um, you know, I began to be more familiar with what the working conditions were like. um, And also was finding that even though I was working more hours, I, like, still wasn't really making as much money as, like, as I would have liked and also, like, had moved out of, like, the commune had sort of, like, disintegrated um, mutually and on good terms, which is great. Um, and so I was, I was supporting, I was, like, 100% like, having to support myself. <clears throat> and I was like, this isn't, I'm not making enough money. Um, and then I would see, you know, other things happening, like, <clears throat> when someone would get fired you would just the way that you found out was that you got an email that said like so and so is no longer with babeland or something like that It was like a one-line email it was like very ominous and then of course like everyone would immediately start gossiping afterwards like what happened what happened what happened and we were all you know we were all at at the very least friendly with each other so you know it's like you would get the information like Whoever was closest to that person would, like, get the information, like, from the source, be like, is it okay if I share this? We would find out. Um, and a lot of the times, um, you know, it was it was a lot of people getting fired over things like individually speaking up about workplace conditions that... Um, that were, like, universally disliked. Um, and, like, for instance, one of my friends who had worked there for three years and who was, like, a shift supervisor, um, we had to every year do um, feedback surveys, and they were specifically asking for feedback, and she was saying stuff along the lines of, I feel like Bayland is kind of losing touch with its queer roots, Um, And it's queer, Um, queer, queer, like, customer base, whatever, Um, fired (laughs) Uh, for being too critical. Um,
0: How many incidents can you remember of people being fired for giving feedback or complaining or speaking up?
1: (sighs) You know what? I don't remember an exact number because it would happen... I mean, it's like it would happen relatively frequently because either that would happen, um, people would get in trouble for uh, posting complaints about that job on their personal social media accounts. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and there, it happened enough that there was this pervasive fear of it. Um, like a really big fear of speaking up. Because the other thing that would also happen is like maybe you'd be ignored. Yeah. You'd be ignored, or you'd be fired, or you'd, like, get in some sort of trouble. Mm. Yeah. And then, I don't know. I mean, like, there was just other stuff that led to, led to the organizing. Um, the, you know, we didn't always feel safe at the store. Um, and we felt like upper management was really out of touch with that. Um, you know, as queer and trans people, we are targets of violence and we happen to like be concentrated in this retail store. And like that makes some people mad, um, (coughs) particularly, I mean, particularly men, like, you know, it makes men angry, um, and it like maybe makes them angry that we sell dildos. I don't know, like whatever. Um, and so particularly in the Lower East Side store, um, there, which actually still employs the most, um, the most trans people and in particular the most trans women. Um, and so there would be incidents at that store in particular of like verbally and like physically violent, like transphobic harassment, transmisogynist harassment, um, there would be, I mean, it was just, like, it was just, like, it was so scary. It would be, like, um, someone spit on another customer in the store, and they had to close the store, like, two guys joked about having a gun, um, people would shout slurs, um, and then also something that happens all the time is that we get prank phone calls where people are... I mean, either, like, rude or violent or masturbating, like, you know, just, like, the whole spectrum of, like, things that people, um, I mean, people taking out their feelings about sex and sexuality on us, which is often violent, um, and we didn't feel like we had enough support around that. We, you know, we wanted phones that had caller ID, you know, we wanted phones that we didn't have to pick up. Or something like that. Or that would go to, like, you know, voicemail or something like that. Um, Or that would just, like, go between the stores, because we do call each other a lot. Um, Yeah, and also, it was like, you know, the policy was that if you really felt threatened and, like, people agreed on it, um, and usually if there wasn't a manager around because they would say no, (coughs) you would close the store. Um, But the problem was that you would lose wages. Yeah, and so it was, like, you had to choose between your safety, like, your physical and emotional safety, and then, like, your financial safety, which, like, is violent. Um, Yeah, and so, like, I think safety was a big part of the conversation, and then, like, wages were also part of the conversation. Um, And so, to answer your question, (laughs) we those were the conversations that we were having around when we started organizing was just like things really reaching I mean like the turnover just got really high and we were just like losing people that we really cared about um, because it was like people who had been there for a long time who were getting fired or quitting Um, I actually like it's almost like a curse like I've been there for three years and I don't know almost anyone who's been there longer for three and a half years Um, so I don't know what's going to happen to me in like six months um But, yeah, so people were getting fired and quitting. Um, Yeah, the turnover was really high. We were losing people who we loved. Um, And so it was actually my partner who had just been there for three years at that point, um, who was kind of like, I can't be at this job any longer, but I also can't leave without knowing that it's just going to be like this you know unless we do something um and so yeah and so she contacted she contacted an organizer at the retail wholesale and department store union the RWDSU <clears throat> and we met with him and um and another organizer and
0: how long had you been at the store, or at, at, at Bayland? Two
1: years. Two years. Two years. Yeah. i have been there two years. Um, and so we met with the two of them, and we were kind of like, I don't know, like, do you even organize stores like this? Like, do you want a sex toy store in your reunion? Um, you know, a lot of these people are queer and trans. Like, can you handle that? Um, and you know what? Like, I will give them so much credit, because they were like, Yes, like, everyone, like, retail stores have a place in our union, like, big stores, small stores, you know, they were doing a campaign, uh, I don't know, maybe they still are, but like, with Guitar Center, and also they, like, organized, like, small bookstores, like, stuff like that, and so they were like, yes, you definitely have a place here, um, and then once we started, once we started, like, you know, once, once it was time to start reaching out to other people to organize, Um, They actually brought in someone to train not just the organizers, but the whole office on, um, like, gender and sexuality competence. And so it really felt like a big moment because it's like they were... The whole local office? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 so it felt like we were really impacting each other, which was great. Um, And then, yeah, and then in the beginning, the conversations... I don't know how much I'm really supposed to talk about the process, um, but the the conversations were basically like, hey, um, it's precarious to work here. Um, it's about your safety. We're not making enough money. Um, people are fired or ignored if they say anything. So it seems like the thing to do now is to take collective action like become a unit <clears throat> and you know get a, let's get a, let's get a union like let's get a union and people i mean there were a range of reactions to that some people were like yes let's do it you know let's do it immediately um, there happened to be, like, a lot of anarchists in the, uh, in the Lower East Side store, so, like, that store was, like, very activated. Um, and then other people would kind of be like, you know, maybe, let me get more information, We, you know, we'd get more information. Um, and then other people would say, you know, yes, I'm definitely pro-union, but, like, I cannot be out about it, um... And then there were people who were like, please stop talking to me about this. And so it was like a range of people. Um, Yeah, it was like, it was definitely, it was definitely a range. And I will say that um, a lot of that has changed. Like people are just like out pro-union now. I mean, like now that we have it, of course. Um, But yeah, that's definitely what it was like at first. And so it was just like slowly like getting other people interested. Um, and more involved, like, developing leadership, um, and then sort of, like, meeting with the organizers a lot, um, who really, well, one of them, one of them is a queer woman, so, like, we were immediately, like, we feel good about you, um, but, like, they really, they really earned our trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that's what the beginning of the, what the beginning of the conversations were like.
0: That's great. Yeah. Um... Are there other parts of the organizing process that that leap out for you, or that you'd like to share?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, so once we had, um, once we had notified the National Labor Relations Board, right, NLRB, um, the National Labor Relations Board, that we wanted to file for um, an election. They notified the company and were kind of like, and then the union was kind of like, well, you could voluntarily recognize the union. And they were like, no. (laughs) So that's what kind of like led to us having an election. And I think one of the most amazing things for me is that as soon as that happened, we, I mean, like also obviously like after, you know, months and months and months of organizing together, um, we really became like, a cohesive, like, direct action-oriented unit. Um, And so, you know, like, fucked up things would happen. Like, we found out that um, Babeland wasn't following the New York Paid Sick Leave Act. Like, their policies were illegal. And so we advocated on our behalf for that um we were like no like we are calling in sick it's your responsibility to find coverage and no we're not going to come in if you can't find coverage um and you know things would happen like um someone was having um like um like a gender like affirming surgery and wasn't getting paid out for that time and so Basically what would happen anytime that something like you know, some, someone was being treated unfairly, like they would send an email and all each store had like a, a text thread. And so the person would send an email and they would set they would text the thread and be like, Hey, will you back me up on this? And, you know, whoever was down with it would be like, Yes and so like the company or the managers would get like a flood of emails being like, Give her her sick time, like pay her out for this and they would be like, Fuck well Okay. <laughs> like, you know, and we were really like equipped with a lot of knowledge. Um, you know, we knew our rights much more than we did before. Um, and we were, you know, and we helped each other really assert those rights. And I don't know, I think that that was incredibly powerful. Like, I think that, you know, to be able to take that action without having a contract, um, is a really big deal. And, you know, we were able to sort of, like, do things like get severance pay for my um, friend who was fired. Uh, it wasn't a lot. It wasn't as much as it should have been, but we got severance pay for them um, by doing things like firing outside of the stores. And so we really made ourselves present. Um, we always made sure what we were doing was, I mean, <coughs> you know, we always made sure what we were doing was legal. Um, and so it's like the company could be really upset about something, but... All they could really do was voice that they were upset that they were upset about it, and so like we would continue, you know, giving interviews, um, like tabling outside the store, and I don't know, just like sticking up for each other, and that was really, really meaningful.
0: What, uh, what were the steps in building that level mm-hmm. of solidarity between uh, your coworkers?
1: So, I don't. I don't know how much I like want to or should share about like the, because there were definitely like were steps in the process itself which I could very much like rattle off. Um, but I'm not. I think that, I think that I'm gonna yeah. be more vague about it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there
0: are a number of published manuals on the topic. Right. Manual.
1: Yeah. That's what I. have That's what I. have Secret. Thing. Right. No, that's true, and also like seeing like people organizing like in different unions, I also think that what our organizers in particular were doing was something really special Interesting. um but I don't know, I mean, you've talked to my coworkers, maybe you know maybe no more um, but I don't know. it was like a lot of individual conversations, meetings in people's apartments um and like conversation like it would be like conversations with union organizers and like someone we were trying to organize and someone who was already on the organizing committee so there's a lot of that but like I think more importantly I, I don't know if it's more important all, all the steps are very important um, but something else that was really important was like staying socially cohesive and so you know it's like we would spend time with each other and have real you know, like, build on these real relationships, because, like, now not only were we, hang- were we hanging out, but we were also doing something political together, um, which I think, which I think, like, sort of, like, tied us up in risk um, and made us want to protect each other more. Um, yeah, I don't know. And so, like, having a lot of those personal connections, like, I think were important. And then... Yeah, I don't know, like, I think that, like, just feeling empowered to, like, stand up for each other was a really big deal, and, like, being tied up with each other politically was a really big deal, and I would say that that was probably, like, one of the things that made us most, I don't know, that, like, that brought us closer, because it brought us closer politically, and, like, investing in our, like, each other's protection, and it, like, brought us together personally, because we had to take time to form those relationships. Yeah. How um, how many staff total are in the unit? Around 30. Around
0: 30. And how many would you say are queer um, more or less? Um,
1: I want to say that almost everyone is queer. There have been new people who I haven't met yet who I like do not know the sexualities of, but at the time that we were organizing, everyone was queer. Um, and then... Or, I don't want to say that everyone was queer, because I don't know if everyone who's trans also identifies as queer. Sure. Um, But I would say everyone was queer and or trans. Yeah.
0: And uh, how many people were already in subcultures or scenes or communities with each other besides the co-worker solidarity? Yeah,
1: definitely. I mean, you know, a lot of us got drops through each other. Um, I mean, a lot of people, like, people were dating, like... People were in kink scenes together, people were organizing together, people, like, had friends in common. <sighs> How many people was, I would say, like, probably half. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Were those communities, um, did they play any sort of role in the campaign?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. I think that a, a big part, I mean, something that was part of our process was reaching out to community groups um and sort of like getting their support so that if we needed if we needed like for instance um there was an unfair firing uh so we called our community groups to call the owners to put pressure on them to like you know give severance whatever
0: so were these community groups ones that you, the workers were a part of or yeah. that you had built relationships with or what? Yeah,
1: definitely. And so it was really interesting. It was like a really, you know, it was like a broad range of, um, of different groups. And so it was stuff like um, the Audrey Lord Project, um, you know, like people who are involved in communities of color. Um, I believe we also, yeah, the Sylvia Rivera Law Project. (laughs) So many acronyms. Yeah, the SLRP. Um, and then it would also be, like, kink communities, or, like, kink organizations, or, like, city organizations. Do you remember
0: which kink organizations were supportive in the campaign?
1: I don't. I do not remember. Um, I think that Stella, who you spoke with, uh, did a lot of that work, but I don't remember exactly who, but I could find it if need be. I can track it. (laughs) Actually, no, not without my phone. Never mind. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so those definitely came, like we would not have had those uh, connections if people had not already been uh, like participating actively in like respective, sort of like organizing or like, you know, organizing, yeah, communities. Definitely, like definitely, definitely.
0: And do you remember any um, encounters you all had with the broader labor movement outside of the staff organizers of RWDSU?
1: Yeah, it was actually pretty cool. Um, So we did a little bit of, like we did some solidarity work because, you know, it's, I think, hopefully part of, like, part of organizing is also, like, politicizing and getting people to, like, view themselves as workers and, like, you know, struggle tied up and, like, liberation tied up in other people's liberation and, like, all workers deserve a union. <clears throat> um, and so, at the time, Verizon was striking and, yeah, so at the time, Verizon was striking, um, and so we would go and picket with them, um, a very different demographic yeah. from who we are. We
0: picketed with them as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so, I don't know, we were probably like there together at some point. Um, you know, that was really, that was really important because it was like, yeah, these people who are very demographically different from us and like, I'm sure some of them were queer, um, and potentially some of them were trans, um, but...
0: So it was yeah. specifically uh, mostly technical workers, right? Yeah. Men, mostly men who were, A lot of like, men. repair yeah. on the equipment systems picketing at stores. Right, exactly.
1: But, um, and so, I don't know. I mean, it was just... I don't know. It was, like, an incredibly... It was like just like an affirming environment. Like there wasn't any like queerphobia or transphobia. It was just like people very much seeing themselves as workers. Um, we also, the RWDSU also covers um, the Herald Square Macy's, which is the first place that they ever uh, that they ever organized. And at the time, also they were they were bargaining or they were renewing a contract, and they I don't know what the specifics were, but they were like often, like, flyering, like, outside the store, um, you know, like, meeting at the RWDSU offices, and so we would encounter them a fair amount, um, you know, like, both in the office and on the street, and so we, I don't know, like, we were in solidarity with them too, and, like, people would show up to our stuff, and so we actually, you know, And also because the RWDSU had that gender and sexuality competence training at the very beginning. I would say that, like, for me, um, like, I had an overwhelmingly positive experience with labor. Um, And I think that overall, for every, like, for most people, the experience was really positive. Um, Yeah. And, you know, a lot of stuff actually came out of that where it's like, Um, my partner left Babeland and now works at, um, CWA. Um, I don't remember what CWA stands for, Communication Workers Alliance?
0: Of America.
1: Of America. Communication Workers of America. Is she with
0: the local or the region?
1: She's with the local, um, I don't remember the number, but it's like, so, she does, she, she reps the nonprofits. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so, I don't know, it's, like, people got more involved, like, in labor stuff. I'm, like...
0: 1180.
1: 1180, yes. It is 1180, thank you. And
0: they're one of my favorite locals. <laughs> oh, really? So I, I have a tremendous admiration
1: for Oh, my them. God, I will tell her that. She'll be mm. really glad to hear it. Um, is she
0: an organizer?
1: Uh, she's a rep. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, she's a rep. Excellent.
0: I've um, sent a couple of non-profit staff people
1: to cool. 1180 to... Yeah.
0: To, ...as a good union to work with.
1: Yeah, for sure. I, yeah, I don't know. The work that I've seen has been really awesome. And I am just, it's an exciting idea to have nonprofits in unions. Um, But yeah, I don't know. So it's like, yeah, so she's in a union. Like, I'm thinking about potentially going into labor law. Um, You know, people are much politicized, much more politicized as workers. Um and I don't know now we have an infrastructure to back us up um but our main infrastructure is like us as a community and like the union is there if we need additional support and they're very very uh they're very proactive but they also give us a lot of space to organize so
0: uh tell me about the contract yeah. you all
1: yeah totally um <clears throat> so I think the first thing that a lot of people ask about the contract is uh did you get a wage increase uh yes we did get a wage increase um I think it was something like we got a wage increase upon signing, and then we're getting one, I think, in May, um, graduated, depending on how long you're there. Um, and so, like, you know, that was great. And also. How
0: much was it for you?
1: For me, oh my God. Um, I'm so embarrassed. I actually don't know. And if I had my phone, I would pull up the contract. Yeah.
0: You um, can look it up, I imagine.
1: Yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, like, the contract is definitely, like, I have it in my email. Um, I am making it for $15 now. Um, I'm embarrassed that I don't know more specifically. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, so we got a wage increase. It's, like, not huge because, I mean, it was interesting. We were able to look more or less into the company's, um, into the company's funds. And we were like, oh, shit, they really, you know... They can't. Like <laughs> they don't they, have.
0: They showed their books to you.
1: Yeah, they were wow. required to show their books to us. Um, we did like an information request, and so they showed us their books. Um, and it was like, okay, you definitely can afford a raise, but like you probably can't afford the eighteen dollars an hour that we're asking for. Um, and that, like, we're not gonna stop asking for. Um. So yeah, we got that, and then. You know, we actually got a lot of stuff that I had talked about, um, before, like, with the conversations, uh, that we're having about organizing. So, with regards to safety, um, if you, now if you close the store early because your safety is being threatened, you get your full night's wages paid out, which is really cool. Um, and then, let's see, what else, um... The Lower East Side store now has caller ID um, and a voicemail so they don't have to answer it if they don't want to, Um, which is a really big deal because like, I mean, I really can't overstate how much phone harassment we get. It's basically like, if you work a shift at Babeland, you will answer a prank call at least once during that shift. Like that's how often it is. And, like, a lot of... Oh, my God. And it's just, like... prank calls can be, like, so racist. And they're also getting, like, increasingly specific. Like, I thought this one was so... Sorry, I know this isn't the question, but, like, I thought that we got this one that was so interesting, where um, someone picked up, like, someone picked up the phone, and the person who called was like, your gender isn't real. And I was like, What? Like, I just, you know, obviously that's a horrible thing to say, but it's so specific to, like, a prank call to Babeland, where, like, a lot of cis people do work, um, but like, I just thought that that was, like, you know, it's like, you have to know a certain amount of things about gender to prank call a store like Babeland, and then, like, do that to someone. I don't know. Anyway, so that happened. Um, it happens less now Mm, one of my favorite things is that we got affirmative action in hiring so it's not just I mean we did get non-discrimination but we also got affirmative action so basically like if if we find that they're not hiring enough people of color trans people um, just like people like people with different abilities is a really big deal Um, and so if we find that they're not hiring a diversity of people uh, we can actually file that as a grievance Um, if we find that rules that they make, new rules that they make are unreasonable um, we can file a grievance if you know if we find that say like vendors aren't being trained or like a vendor who's presenting to us isn't uh is using like extremely gendered language uh we can file an information request to see if that person was informed about um about us you know and like not just who we are as an audience but who like but like as people who are like Like, basically, like, not just to cater to, like, our individual identities, which, like, is valid and, like, should be true, but also to, um, you know, to facilitate us, like, talking about, like, when we're on the sales floor, talking to the customers, like, in a way that is not presumptive of, like, their gender or the sex they're having or the genders of their partners or, like, you know, just anything. Um, So, we can file an information request to see if they've gotten adequate training Um, we also this isn't in the contract it's like an addendum but like I think that we got a really rad dress code which is I mean like I would never picture myself saying the words rad dress code um, like because dress codes are like often rooted in like fucked up shit Um, but like we felt like we felt like the dress code was being unfairly enforced particularly with trans women Um, and, and so we drafted a new dress code, like, the workers drafted a new dress code that was, like, um, I mean, we are basically, like, all right, whatever, like, we won't show our genitals, fine. Um, other than that, like, we're gonna wear whatever we want, um, you know, like, we will be respectful of, like, people's sensitivity to, um... Like, to different sense, like, that's fine. Like, we want to do that. Um, we, like, things that you, like, there's almost nothing that you can't wear except for um, something that advocates violence against an oppressed group. Um, and you, like, this must be enforced. Like, if you're going to enforce it, like, across the board. Um, and we are the ones who determine... If that's, if that's fucked up or not. So, yeah, I, I think those are some of my, my contract highlights.
0: So it sounds like overall that the culture there has been really profoundly transformed by mm. the solidarity between people.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and also, yes, and also we went from, I guess this is pretty standard with unions, we went from being <coughs> um, at-will employees where we could be fired for any reason, up to no reason at all, to being uh just cause employees where they have to have um a reason that fits certain criteria to fire us if they're going to fire us um yeah sorry um so yes we are like the culture has definitely the culture has definitely changed for the better um yeah i don't know i just never thought that i was going to be I don't know. I just never thought that I was going to be a part of something like this. Um, I think maybe a lot of people didn't also. And so it's like, this has just been I don't know, transformative.
0: How has it transformed you?
1: Um, I mean, I'm really interested in labor now. And I was like, you know, sort of like peripherally interested in labor before, um, because like a lot of people I know were involved in it. But I think that a lot of my, you know, a lot of my interests before were, like, around, um, like, immigration and queer people of color and trans people, and obviously, like, I'm still interested in those things, and I have, <clears throat> and I have a much stronger labor lens on that, and, like, the underemployment of those communities, and, like, I don't know, just, like, just the way that employment, uh, and jobs are, like, violent and oppressive, like, particular particularly towards those communities, Um, I don't know, like, I feel, I feel a sense of solidarity with my peers, I feel invested in anyone and everyone having a union, um, I feel more powerful at work, I mean, like, I feel like, you know, I feel like the people in power are, like, a little bit antagonistic around it, but now I feel like there is a process to deal with that, and it's a process that we have control over. It's not like the union just tells us we're going to file this grievance. <clears throat> it's also like, you know, they're like, well, you know, do you want to think about a collect- collective action that we can take? And then they let us take the lead on that. Um, yeah, I don't know. And I think that I've grown as an organizer. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think that I've grown as an organizer. <clears throat> I think that I'm less reserved about... You know, like approaching, I don't know, I'm like less reserved about having organizing conversations. I think I feel more confident as, like, I feel more confident calling myself an organizer. Um, yeah, and then also I like have closer personal relationships with my coworkers.
0: That's wonderful. Yeah. And what is your life outside of work like these days?
1: Uh, um, let's see, I, I'm studying to get into law school, yeah, I'm taking, I'm studying for the LSATs, um, yeah, I'm studying for the LSATs, I have, like, I have another job, I work at a music venue, um, in Williamsburg, um, I don't know, I... Oh my god! What do I do outside of work? I'm just do you like, live
0: alone. I do not
1: live alone. I just moved in with my partner.
0: Um in what neighborhood?
1: Uh, Prospect Lefferts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there is—I will say—there is a lot of union talk in the home, um, like because she, like, because she's an organizer, and because we organize together, and like, you know, people are like, "Wait, you—you work together? You're in a relationship, and you're organizing together?" Um, because even before I moved in there. Um, even before I moved in there, I was, like, basically living there. And everyone was like, that's a terrible idea. And we were, like, we are both very stubborn. So we were like, no, we're going to do it. <laughs> and so we did it. It's still good. Um, yeah, so I, I just moved to Pro, uh, Prospect Lefferts. Um, yeah, I don't know. What do I do? That's so weird. What do I do? Um,
0: that's a good one. Yeah, I don't know.
1: No, <laughs> um, yeah and i mean like you know actually another big part of my life is that um is i like i quit drinking a year ago and so i'm in you know i'm in recovery programs for that and i'm like working a lot on like mental health stuff and congratulations. which congratulations thank you um it takes a a remarkable amount of time i'm like god someone pay me for this you know it's it's so much work and it's so much emotional labor and it's a lot of like sweat labor in a different way. Um, oh and then this is sort of like tangentially related to um, to work but it is outside of work. Um, I'm also the shop steward uh, for our location on Mercer Street. Mm, and so I am doing a lot of um, a lot of interfacing between, the workers and the company and the workers and the union and the union and the company. Um, and like literally like in my free time, like that's something that I do. Um,
0: how many stewards are there total one for each store? One for each store. So there's three. And are those, are there any other unit positions besides stewards?
1: Yeah. Um, there is a labor management committee that meets every couple of months and so there is one representative from each store that, like, literally sits across the table so from the
0: So six, six positions total.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and
0: uh, do staff, RWDSU staff, mm-hmm. join the g- labor management committees? Yes. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Our, um, I believe it's, like, our representative and then, like, his director. Mm-hmm. Um, anything
0: else that you'd like to include in this interview? Um,
1: I don't know. I mean, like, I am, I don't know. I'm just really excited to be doing this. I, it's, I mean, whatever, like, I grew up partially in New York, so I love the New York Public Library, and so I'm, like, thrilled, (laughs) um, to be, uh, to be part of the database. Um. I don't know, I mean, whatever, this is like what I say at the end of like every interview that I do about the union, but you know, anyone can start a union, (laughs) like, I definitely, yeah, I definitely want to say that, um, I don't know, like, I think, I don't know, I think that, you know, if other queer and trans people are hearing this, like, I want to affirm that survival isn't at times incredibly difficult um but not impossible and I don't know like I just am really I am really excited and feel really lucky to be part of you know um like a trans story because I think that you know I think that a lot of that is like what what keeps me going
0: that's great Thank you so much for your time and contributing your story and your presence.
1: Thank you.